data now a weapon? Is it the way forward? Is data a window into our future? Is it the new oil? Is data a geopolitical game changer? Is it a friend or foe to American democracy? How do we know? How do we know anything? Welcome to Data Reveal. Mark here, and as usual, I wanted to give you a quick takeaway. The big idea from this week's episode with our special guest, Monica McEwen of Deloitte. As we talked about with Chris Wilson last time, we've reached an inflection point with data. Data can be used wisely, effectively, and inclusively across a number of decisions, but there's a challenge. We're moving into automation, we're moving into AI, and we're moving into the cloud. And that means those who share data are going to see it used in ways that they can't control and that they don't automatically understand. That's a big theme in our talk today, and I want you to key in on that as the takeaway. The inflection point is here, but as we move into automation, culture is a challenge. One of the things that we hear often is that there are antibodies to change, and they can come out just like resisting a treatment in your body that makes it worse. Those antibodies are real, but they don't have to be the barriers that they have been and maybe still are. Trust is the answer. So as you listen to Monica delve into that, be leaning forward, look for ways to lead up and down your organization, thinking ahead, looking at automation, looking at the cloud, and looking at trust. And without further ado, let's dive in. Welcome to the Data Reveal Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Fidelli. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Andrew Churchill and Courtney Hastings. Hello. Great to be here. And today we have our special guest, Monica McEwen of Deloitte. Monica has a wonderful technical background. She's also been involved in nonprofit and charitable organizations. And I've known her for about 10 years. It's actually how I learned about Click. Excited to have you here. Welcome back to Click. Excited to uh, reconnect too. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Well, we all know this is uh, still in the shadow of 9-11 and 20 years later, I think as we've talked to different guests, we like to use that as a moment in time. So it's a sad but important time to reflect. And I think without being too much sort of past looking, we're going to spend a lot of time forward looking. Uh, just Monica, over to you for thoughts on what's what's changed, maybe even some reflections on that day. How do you look back at that time and the years in your career and and what really stands out as as some of the big themes things that have evolved, things that have changed, things that have been accomplished as, as you've seen them. Yeah, it's amazing. It's been 20 years. I can remember that day as clear as it was yesterday. In fact, I was living near Iwo Jima at the time, and I remember going out for a walk that afternoon just to clear my head and sort of get some fresh air. And I sat at Iwo Jima in Arlington, and it was so quiet because there were no planes going overhead. And it was just eerie, and you know, there was just so much uncertainty. But as it pertains to sort of the data space, a couple of days later, as soon as the air reopened, I was on a plane to Fort Bragg. At the time, I was working for a company called Cognos, which has since been acquired by IBM. And we had offered to go and provide any support needed if there were data calls or data requirements. So I was down at Fort Bragg in a really interesting time in our country um, and able to help with some of the initial data calls that came in in terms of uh, troop readiness and other things like that. And I think 
I saw that really as a turning point in terms of the government's willingness to try and use data more effectively. Uh, many people had been doing kind of standard reporting for many years, but I think there was a recognition that data needed to be more agile and more nimble in order to get it into the hands of the decision makers faster. And so I saw that as a little bit of a turning point, particularly for DOD, um, but for agencies in particular across government. And it's only continued to evolve since then. Yeah, Monica, I mean, uh, in the time that I've known you, I mean, we've seen a lot of those you know, sort of events, whether they be you know, sort of positive or tragic ones, uh, sort of trigger those changes. And you know, we certainly are living through one right now with the pandemic. Uh, certainly been a, a big uh, turn to data. And I think uh, it's also been one of those times that really has brought about some, some cultural change around how organizations uh, work with data. I think probably back at 9-11, it was a little more IT-centric in the shift and now maybe a little bit more broad culturally. Uh, curious, your view, uh, you've got uh, you know, the Cognos, Click, ThoughtSpot and other technologies background. How, you know, whether it's this pandemic or you know, just the other things that we've gone through over the years, how, how have the people changed? Yeah, you bring up such a good point. Um, that story I told of post 9-11 being out at Fort Bragg, I was sitting in like a, what looked like a broom closet with a bunch of folks from IT, not really knowing like what, what the business even needed. We were sort of shooting in the dark in terms of trying to pull data together. And uh, things have absolutely evolved since then. I think this pandemic has been a real wake up call for those agencies that weren't using data in a meaningful way. It's been a real wake-up call that they need to start taking advantage of the data that they have and the, the great information that they're sitting on top of. But I think those requirements for data are being driven much more by the business today than they have been historically. Uh, you know, analytics, business intelligence, it used to be very much an IT-driven sort of initiative. And now we're seeing business leaders and executives across government asking for information and, and really being the change agents in terms of better using data and bringing in technologies to help support that. So I would 100% agree with that, Andrew. Um, you know, it's interesting to, you know, in your in your role now, you've arrived at a great position with Deloitte and an opportunity to help the federal government and public, broader public sector sort of uh, modernize their, their use of data and analytics. But, you know, when I look back, again, compare that Cognos era, you know, largely firms like Deloitte were building reports and implementing systems. And now, you know, there's so much of this is, is you know, focused around self-service and uh, the business being able to do more. What are the big boulders that, uh, you know, a firm like Deloitte comes in looking to be able to, to help with, with modernization? What are, the, what are the things that you see as the, the big challenges that organizations are facing as they move towards that next whatever milestone in modernization? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very dependent on the agency that we're working with, as I'm sure sure you see as well. And everyone's at sort of a different juncture in their data modernization journey. Some are have a great vision, but need some support in terms of technical implementation. And others just, they don't even really know how to get started. I would say in general, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons I joined Deloitte is having worked for a variety of software companies through my career. You know, I was always just kind of trying to represent the best of breed technology, but Deloitte really looks at agencies challenges from the the raw data through the data integration data cataloging and up to how do we actually use the data to drive mission decisions and so we can help support across really any spectrum of that life cycle but it's not just about the technology so much of it is about change management 
and training and making sure that you have the appropriate support at the business level, as we talked about earlier, to help with the adoption, because ultimately people still like their Excel spreadsheets, but there's so many new technologies that exist today that you know, make the data analytics so much more powerful. You know, using Click over a Excel spreadsheet allows for much more rapid decision making, but trying to get people to embrace that is um, part of the journey that I think every agency is going going through. Monica, as you think about like um, sort of the, those two things you talked about, wake, sort of the wake up call that we're in and then sort of getting the business to realize the value of its data and its technology what kind of conversations have of how have the conversations you've had evolved over the years? And obviously, that's partly your own career and growth and lessons learned and experiences, but also just the sector we're in. Sort of the federal data sector has evolved with so many different types of technology. I think nine eleven changed like how names work together, how lists get combined, information sharing. People know about that because that's sort of out in the public eye. But in terms of like what's behind the scenes. What kind of conversations have you had and what are you really excited about sort of right now that gives you hope that, okay, we can be more agile, we can overcome some of those bigger change management boulders that sort of end up in the front pages and, and maybe obscure the great work people are doing? I think there's this massive inflection happening in the IT industry in general right now, and that is the cloud, right? I think the cloud is going to enable agencies to move a lot faster, to remove a lot of the technical barriers that have been unfortunately holding a lot of folks back that will allow people to be a lot more nimble and agile. And so the move to the cloud, I think, is going to enable so much more from a data and analytics perspective in terms of being able to, you know, scale things up and down as needed, pull new data sets in much more rapidly, enable better data sharing, which has been historically very challenging, but doing that in a governed manner to make sure that everybody's comfortable with the data and then ultimately getting into the hands of the decision makers faster. So I think cloud is what I'm kind of most excited about right now because I'm starting to see it actually come to fruition with uh, agencies that we're working with where it truly is really rapidly decreasing the time to value and increasing the speed to decision. So I think that that's a, a big one. And I think that that's been accelerated by the pandemic because when the pandemic first hit, the agencies that had some of that infrastructure in play were able to move a lot faster than those that did not. So that's sort of today what I'm most excited about. I think the conversations have changed over the years just in terms of, you know, data was at, in some regard an afterthought 20 plus years ago. And now it's really the forefront of what every program office and every administrative office is doing. You know, data is driving every decision that people make. And I think it's become much more prevalent in terms of an understanding that if you're using the data correctly, it can have a massive impact. So, of course, when people think about data and cloud, I think they, they probably go to Azure, AWS, Google, sort of big tech. And there's a whole sort of AI part of that. There's lots of other technologies inside cloud now that we all use personally, right? So I think if you're on your phone, there's a lot going on behind the scenes to make recommendations, to suggest, you know, you should look at this based on your last purchase history or your last conversation or your last piece of work that you would, hey, did you know somebody else? Like it's internal to an organization. You built this presentation. Did you know there's these others with these similar titles or whatever? Do you feel like there's like a man, machine, human, you know, sort of AI 
synergy happening. I mean, I, I, I don't know if that's too sci-fi, but it's kind of not far behind sort of going to the cloud because that's where all this investment's happening, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the move to the cloud is going to enable AI to move even faster. Um, you know, when people hear AI, they think like killer robots and sci-fi, as you said, Mark. And I, I think there's many people misunderstand what AI is. To your point, it's it's on our phones. It's helping to drive decisions that we're making every day without us even realizing it. And so as we start to see AI applied in various government use cases, one of the things we're really focused on at Deloitte is to ensure that it's trustworthy. So we have a big team of data scientists that are dedicated to our trustworthy AI pipeline. And so we're building models that have explainability and uh, explainability in them that are ethical, that we can ensure that there's confidence in the models that are being designed and developed for various government mission sets. But I think that there's vast misunderstanding of what AI is. And if we can start to really describe it in a way that's more tangible for people, I think that will help with the adoption of it and also help people understand the value that can drive across government, whether it be, you know, faster document processing, because, you know, there's natural language that can go in and start to parse out pieces of documents, whether it can be improving a call center experience um, through better routing for citizens to, you know, the challenge that they have. There's so many applicable use cases, and I think we'll start to see that more and more in coming years. It's going to be interesting to see how the government begins to uh, uh, adopt these things. I mean, clearly, I think we're seeing, you know, a, a number of, of areas, I think, in some of the administrative tasks, we're you know, hearing stories of them being able to do contract closeouts and simple, you know, the simple things in the finance space. We're starting to hear more about, you know, chatbots, uh, you know, supporting simple questions on citizen engagement in data. We're certainly beginning to see them take interest in the in the potential that's there around cognitive you know, sort of human behaving type of, of capabilities. Or, or you know, I, I think on you know in the big programs, we're starting to see certainly a lot of AI and ML investment. DoD is uh, certainly building towards a future that is uh, heavily invested in that. Are there any? Uh, the stories that you've seen in the news or heard out there that you think are particularly interesting and sort of tell the tale of where we might be headed? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the, the world's going to change in the next five years and AI is going to be kind of at the center of it. I think there's so many interesting use cases. One of the things that I think a lot of people sort of misunderstand AI and think like, oh, a predictive algorithm is AI and, you know, or or they think, oh, a killer robot is AI. And so it's trying to like demystify what what is AI and how can it be used? I think to your point, Andrew, across government right now, where we're seeing the most kind of able um, use cases are the administrative ones, right? So even during COVID, being able to do the document processing more quickly and being able to pull those data sets together and parse things out through natural language search and natural language processing, which have some underlying AI algorithms in them. But I'd be curious from your perspective, I mean, there's like, there's people that are sitting on troves of data, right? And the kind of first step is like, how do you analyze it better before you even can get to some of the fancy AI? So that data integration piece, I think, is one that we're also seeing a lot of people trying to pull together multiple data sets to make more informed decisions. So I guess from your perspective, Andrew, seeing any of that in, in your space? Yeah, I mean, well, a lot of talk of it. I mean, the data operations, data engineering is a, a big theme right now as we talk to CDOs, uh, as we in, engage with teams that are you know, building out their AI and ML capabilities is 
you know, how, how can you help Click bring together data in a timely, trustworthy, repeatable, efficient manner? Because I think those are, you know, certainly been some of the, the challenges that have faced large scale uh, implementations uh, in the federal government. I mean, it's data is stovepiped originally by design to be able to, to secure it for the purpose it was collected for, and now separated primarily by the le- level of effort it will take to to bring together, bring it together, cleanse it, govern it, and make it available. But those efforts are certainly underway. And in cloud, you know, bringing it back around to your original, I think cloud is the, the piece that's empowering it all. And this isn't a uh, federally focused example, but it sort of illustrates what Monica was talking about on the starting with the data integration side of the piece, um, Pima County, Arizona. It was impressive to see their sort of what they called their modern data ops strategy. And they had mapped out a pathway from the data integration piece to cloud data warehousing and then to analytics. It was it was pretty impressive to see that. Courtney, you just reminded me of a, a story I heard from the Las Vegas Department of Transportation a couple of years ago at a conference back when we actually attended those things. And they have some pilots going with autonomous vehicles, which were just like fascinating to me. So combination of autonomous vehicles. And then they were doing this pilot with Audi to try and reduce the traffic in Las Vegas. If you've been to Las Vegas, you all know, like trying to get across the street there in a single light is impossible, but trying to drive through there is even more difficult. And so they were trying to time the lights in Las Vegas to get the maximum number of pedestrians across the road. And so they had this pilot going with Audi where the traffic light would actually signal something to the car before the light turned green again. And it would say, driver, get your head back in the game with a three, two, one countdown. So that the driver, if they were, you know, pointing their child in the back seat, helping them get their sippy cup or distracted by their phone, as they often people do at red lights, it would get them back to driving again so they can get the maximum number of cars through each green cycle. So some really cool things that I think will, you know, transform the way that we all live our lives, certainly, and, and also the way that the government does business. You and uh, Courtney both are mothers of young daughters, when you start thinking about uh, something as simple as moving traffic across the street, things will, by the time your girls are old enough to travel to Las Vegas, don't go there. Who knows what will, will be possible? You know, to pivot off of that, uh, you know, clumsy tie, the thing that I wanted to ask was, I mean, again, mothers of, of young ladies, tying it back to the people part of this, you know, you've often... We've heard a lot about the sort of lack of engagement in STEM, and we've certainly seen a lot of focus on creating programs. What are your thoughts on you know, how that future technology wave is going to include the, the young women that you are raising in your households? Well, I can say that, especially with the pandemic, my kids are almost more proficient with a computer these days than I am. So just the the way in which they're living their lives and the access they have to technology, I certainly never had. Um, I think my I got my first computer in college and a BlackBerry three or four years out of college. Um, you know, they're all growing up with devices. They're growing up learning how to navigate Zoom calls for school and everything else. And so I think that in and of itself is going to just drive so much more in terms of getting the the pipeline of women into the tech workforce um, in a way that we just haven't been able to experience yet. So I think that's going to help a lot. But Courtney, I'd be curious what what your thoughts are there. 
Yeah. So my oldest, um, loyal who is dying to be a future podcast guest. So hopefully we'll make that happen. Um, anytime she, <laughs> she is in, uh, the fourth grade this year and she has been in a STEM pullout program since she was in kindergarten. And certainly those sorts of opportunities did not exist when we were younger. So it's a, it's a terminology that has be that even she knows what it means that didn't exist before. And she is constantly being taught about technology, about the opportunity in technology, learning how to make applications. And of course, as Monica mentioned, like just their simple access to devices and their reliance on them in their day-to-day -day life is going to be huge, I think. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to that day. I mean, I when I started my career, and for most of it, I worked on uh, teams of all men. And they're it just, it was normal. It was natural. I didn't know anything different. I feel like we're in this kind of period right now where we're obviously trying to promote getting more diversity into the workforce in the form of both gender and other. But, you know, there's just not the pipeline there, because I think they're the STEM education, like what your daughter is uh, experiencing, Courtney, and having that from kindergarten, that just started a couple of probably a decade ago. So we're not going to see those folks in the workforce for probably another decade. But there's going to be a little bit of a gap for the next couple of years. But then I think we're going to see an influx of more and more women entering the tech market out of college and, you know, out of grad school and things, which I think will certainly help. It's so interesting that you said that because I was on a call earlier today with Julie Kay, who runs click.org and now also our diversity, equity and inclusion program. And she was saying that exact same thing, like, wouldn't she love to, you know, have 50 or more percent of Click's employees be female, but they aren't there right now. So yeah, I think that that gap over the next few years is, is going to close and we'll be able to see more women in the tech space um, in just a little bit. Yeah, and there's some really cool organizations out there. Your daughter might be interested in them, Courtney. There's a uh, Girls Who Code, Women in Data that is actually oriented towards younger women. And there's a third one, I'm forgetting the name, but they uh, run programming to actually get kids, girls in particular, hands-on with technologies. There's one specifically focused around analytics that Click might already be participating in, but they run weekend seminars where the kids actually get to come in and build their first application to using using data, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. I, I'm thinking about my own daughter, and she's had some success as uh, sort of online business. Like, I don't know if you guys have heard of Slime Shops and sort of the, it's like a, a, a little carve out in the Etsy universe, I guess. And just to see the entrepreneurial spirit able to be sort of supercharged with feedback, lessons learned, studying, that sort of thought process is just natively available. And it's so awesome to see girls get a chance to show what makes, I mean, I don't want to make a general statement, but so many girls have an intuitions that guys don't. And that's easily sort of generalized, but I want to come back to a point about sort of decision-making at the top. We, we have within our organization, a guy named Kevin Hannigan, who wrote a book called Cognitive Diversity. And you mentioned, Monica, sort of there's multiple types of diversity. There's ethnic diversity, religious diversity, gender diversity. There's, you know, every form of culture has its nuances and its, uh, its beauty. And when people bring a diverse set of perspectives to leadership, and what I want to get into is those troves of data that people are sitting on, the more we can transition that data into a place where more different people from different perspectives can look at it, 
i.e. apply cognitive diversity principles to integrated data, then I think there's an inflection point yet to come where, you know, we might not have as many women in the data workforce yet, but you can have as many women sitting around the leadership table for sure, and as many diverse perspectives sitting around the leadership table for sure, interpreting data, seeing things that others don't see. So I don't know where the best examples of that are. I know the Army was the first to desegregate. There's a long history. There's a long history of injustice in every institution in our country. I'm pretty sure that that's valid statement. But some are more sort of assertive and progressive about inclusion and decision-making than others. I'm curious if, if you've seen examples of at the leadership level, even if it's lagging at the sort of grassroots level, surprising uses of data. I think, you know, interoperability in COVID, right? The, the data sharing that happened between agencies is a good example. But wh where is cognitive diversity happening? That's our word. Maybe it's just sort of inclusive leadership happening. Monica, you've been part of that for your whole career. I mean, I met you, gosh, 15 years ago. And you were thinking really innovative thoughts about some problems that, that our friends in the naval aviation community had about future technology, future that's now, right? And you were a thought leader then, and I saw that, and that was how I got to learn about Click, interestingly. So it's not for lack of opportunity to, to bring diverse voices, but where are the diverse voices happening, and where are they harnessing data and saying, you know, here's an interpretation of data that should be what we act on should be policy. We should put money behind this. I mean, maybe there aren't as many use cases as there should be. And maybe that's the takeaway is, is we need to all be mindful of those folks in leadership. But it seems to me that's a pretty exciting next phase that the cloud can enable from a cultural perspective, this idea of cognitive diversity, getting more insights out of the same data that we have. Yeah, I like that, uh, that cognitive diversity. I don't know if you just coined it, Mark, but I like it. Now, I wish I could say that. There's a book by <laughs> Kevin Hannigan. I highly recommend it. I can't get enough. It's kind of a, I don't know, I'd say a best kept secret. So not not best kept secret any longer. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, this is an interesting topic and I'm forgetting the name of the book, but there's a book that talks specifically around the ethics of AI and particularly how women are misrepresented, underrepresented in so much of the data that it's, you know, then skews the results. And so I think that's something that really needs to be looked at as we start thinking about how we apply AI to, to data problems. You know, I think in general, there's a lot of areas in which it appears, and um, perhaps it's just in some of the work I'm involved with, but it appears that the, in general, inequity is being looked at a lot more closely, right? There was a, a use case during COVID, which tried to identify based on social determinants, populations that might be at higher risk for COVID based on lack of access to um, PPE, and now then lack of access to vaccines based on where they live, where the closest hospital might be or testing center relative to those that had transportation to get there. And so I think there's so many interesting use cases when we start to use data to really then drive change. So in an example with COVID, you know, they looked at populations in which there was not a testing center nearby for populations that might not be able to get there. And they opened new testing centers closer to the, those populations that might be in most need. So, you know, using the data to drive real change in our society is kind of fascinating. Um, climate inequity is another kind of big topic right now, right, to identify areas that might be most impacted by climate changes, such as uh, the latest hurricane down in New Orleans, to really then figure out, okay, how do we need to either change public policy 
and or provide better infrastructure and support to those regions and areas that might be impacted uh, most by these inequities. Yeah, that's really has my thought or my mind going down a couple paths and, and maybe we have some follow-up episodes and follow-up discussions just related to how you make data available, how you invest in inclusion, how you invest in STEM, big organizations, sort of we're, we're getting on the theme of what leaders do and then what happens at sort of local levels at the grassroots. And we are at a time where, okay, so now forward, maybe 20 years from now, if I can dare look that far ahead, it does seem, and maybe this is sort of a jump ball question for, for all of us, we're still in those sort of those career years where we can make a big impact. We can still leave much more of a legacy. And I think we've all been able to achieve things in our career that we're really excited about. There's a lot of people our age that have come up with technology, computers from the beginning of our career to now. Now the cloud is going to be for the next generation what they have from the beginning and even as kids. But in terms of like, so Click and Deloitte are partners. We have a global partnership that's public, that's announced. We know we can all invest in any number of activities. And business means ROI, right? We have to have a return on investment. So coming back to something you said about investing in explainable AI, having confidence in data models, that moves from sort of the wonky data world to front and center what, what organizations are really going to bank on, what leaders are really going to bank on. I guess as you think about, Monica, and again, this is for all of us, what are you most excited about looking ahead as far as, okay, it's going to take time. We know we're still laying foundations for AI. Cloud is just here. It's readily available. It can do more. Those troves of data are out there. But there are going to be some leading use cases that are going to sort of break the ice flow and, and get things going to, for people to see, oh, wow, there's much more that we can do with data than we thought. What are some of the things that you're most excited about? And, you know, if it's not too self-serving, but for, for all of us trying to make the right investments of time, what should we be doing? If you could wave the magic wand and say, look, this is where we need to be focusing. What, what gets you motivated and excited each day? Yeah, I mean, I think if I, if I reflect back on like when I started my career, reporting was really cool and, you know, people were excited to have a like report generated for them. And it's evolved over time, right, to more dashboards and visualization and self-service analytics. But I think what the impact we're going to see the most from cloud and AI and other things is more automation in that space where people are actually provided with the insights without even having to look at anything, right? And it's not just alerting because that exists today. It's more, you know, something that can decipher the data and provide a very bespoke answer to a person based on their past involvement with that data, for instance, evolving. Um, uh, but I think in the government space, we're still very much at the point of needing to do the data integration across all the silos that existed, right? As Andrew mentioned, those, those data silos have existed for a long time for a reason, but technology has now caught up that allows those silos to come together and still be governed so that decisions can be made more broadly across an agency. So it's that that integration piece and kind of creating that centralized data fabric that I think is really going to be critical in the next couple of years. And then focusing on how do we get more of those end users in, engaged in the process so that they are using the data to make the informed decisions so that it doesn't fall to, Mark, you mentioned earlier, like only a handful of people are using the information. How do we broadcast that so that there's the data literacy component that I know you talk a lot about? And how do we kind of continue to evolve with data literacy more broadly across the agency user community? Andrew, what are your thoughts there? 
Well, I mean, uh, engagement is my the thing that I'm most excited about, hands down across the board at all levels of the data supply chain from the you know, people that are you know, curating and integrating that becoming, again, AI and ML driven, taking some of the, you know, backroom <laughs> IT, you know, sort of roll out of it and, and putting subject matter experts front and center into being able to essentially prepare the data for consumption. At the creator level, again, whether it's AI and ML models and, and some of those by, you know, engagement across a diverse group of people that would change the way uh, that those models are representing recommendations and decisions. And then ultimately at the, at the consumption side, as you said, it's, it's becoming more commonplace, super simple things that are going beyond, hey, it's going to rain on into, hey, notice that you booked an outdoor <laughs> table, it's going to rain. Those types of integrations, so that's that next level of cognitive capability that's coming. But again, engagement, if now we take it down to our the, the federal level, it is engagement across all levels, senior level, all the way down to first-line administrative workers and up, having the opportunity to uh, participate at the entire life cycle. Like they, there, is, there is knowledge about what our government does, about the the things that are working and not working in areas to improve throughout the every single enterprise. And I really do believe that that opportunity is that it, it, the thing I'm most excited about is the ability to engage those folks to improve it from end to end. And uh, I, I think we're really close on that. I think for me, it's actually just the use cases. I think that we've seen over the past 10 years, um, you know, data going from, as Monica was, was talking about earlier, just, you know, something that's in the IT shop to something that's really runs throughout the enterprise. And I think the same thing is going to be true. And it's already starting to prove out that for AI and, and, and ML as well, not to uh, plug clicks marketing activities, but a couple months ago, we sponsored a a panel with Federal News Network and tying back to one of our earlier themes about being a woman in this space, we actually had uh, three senior women from the Department of Defense on this panel talking about the various use cases that they have been using data for. And it's really just fascinating how it's something, you know, like something as simple as human resources or career development to something as uh, globally important as, you know, data dominance in our uh, defense space. So I'm just excited to see the expansion of the ver all the various use cases that will be able to help our government help the people. Yeah, I was just going to say, Courtney, I, I'd echo that. I think, you know, 20 years ago, data was really only used administratively, right? Like, how many people do we have in the workforce? How are we paying those people? And now the use cases, you know, data has become so prevalent that the use cases are much more mission centric, which end up ultimately having a much bigger impact on our society and across our government. Well, just to close the loop, and, and as we wrap up, I, this is bringing to mind, Monica, I mentioned earlier, when we first met, I was working on a project. This was my first consulting project. So I went from Informatica software, where I'd been working with Andrew, met Monica, so so such a small world. And uh, I'll protect names or protect the innocent and keep the names from this, but there are a couple people who thought big thoughts way ahead of their time 
about how to make decisions using all the different data that now we're talking about is available, is ready, as people are sitting on it. So what's exciting to me is this is, a, I think, scary for some. Some bears are going to have to be poked. There are some people sitting on troves of data for various cultural reasons or reasons of fear or concern. And I think inclusion can scare some. But if you just think about what it is, <laughs> it's it's inclusion, right? Like, so bring that data into a fabric, into a, a, a way of reporting on what's happening today. I think that's a deterrent for war. I, I mean, preventing wars, right? If we're strong in the use of data, if DOD and these places that are responsible, law enforcement, if places that are responsible are strong in data, it deters others because they have a right to have access to data that no one else does. That's part of our society, right? We empower these organizations to do that. And I think it's going to be the voice of women more than men pounding the table and doing the bravado thing, saying, I mean, you, women could do that too. That's not to exclude that. I, but there's still, I think, some hurdles. But I think what we're talking about here, and, and Court, Monica and Courtney, both of you, represent what's on the other side of the hurdle, is an ability to see from the data to the people, back to the culture, and we're so excited to be working with you, Monica, and the Deloitte team to be moving that forward. I'll never forget the one time, this is my last story, and then we'll wrap, is, and I'll let you have the last word. But one of the things you coached me on is don't get too far over your skis, right? Like we had some big ideas. We were talking about this room with all different types of data in there. It was like minority report. And you remember, let's one step at a time. And I remember that, and I and I still apply those lessons today. So I think it's it's there's big thoughts, there's excitement, but there are some very tactical, simple steps that we all have to take in data, and uh, those are the ones that I think we get to be part of, and that's that's very exciting. So Monica, over to you for last words, last thoughts on, you know, any stories or history or, or final thoughts before we before we call this a wrap. Awesome, that's that's great, Mark. I uh, I don't remember giving you that piece of advice, but I'll uh, I'll take your word for it. What I do remember is when you and I were working together that the the big thoughts that you just described were awesome, right? And it was like, let's pull all this data together. However, at the time, that organization was using Post-it notes yep. to provide their data to their leadership. And so I think I was looking at it going, oh, that stuff's awesome, but they're not going to get there for like 10 years because they're still on Post-it notes. So first, we got to totally. get the data into an authoritative data source, and then we can actually start using and analyzing it and putting great tools like like Click on top of it. So that was probably the, the genesis of my uh, comment of don't get too far over your skis. You nailed it. Yeah. But um, no, I'm super excited to be working with Click. I think there's just so much potential. You know, there's this excitement and enthusiasm around AI and ML and doing all these cool things. But like step one is let's get the data integrated and to a point that we can get the data into the hands of the decision makers. And I think Click enables that tremendously and has just huge potential uh, across our clients. So we're really looking forward to our continued partnership. Wonderful. Well, with that, I think we're going to call it. Great conversation, Monica. Again, thank you for your time. Courtney, Andrew, as always, appreciate this. And uh, for those who are listening, Data Reveal will be back uh, again in probably two weeks. Be on the lookout. If you like this podcast, please give it a good rating too. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Monica. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me.